Welcome, everyone, to episode 40 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and I've got a special surprise for you guys today. Over this past weekend, I did an interview with an Ohio ghost hunter named Sarah Setliff, and I'm going to play that for you guys today. She talks about how she got started and some of the scarier things that has happened to her during her investigations. So let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Here is the interview that I conducted with Sarah Setliff, Ghost Hunter. I'd first like to welcome and thank Sarah Setliff for agreeing to do this interview. She's the first of, I hope, many interviews with Ghost Hunters. So let's just get right into the interview. Sarah, what made you first get into ghost hunting? So when I was little, my mom used to sell cemetery plots, and I pretty much grew up playing in graveyards and cemeteries and stuff and I was always drawn to the darkness I guess you could say ever since I was little I just was always drawn to death and the dead and when I was seven my best friend Robin Chase she was hit by a car crossing the street with her mom on a rainy day and she died and my mom never let me go to the funeral or anything like that, and I think maybe that's could have been what started it. Did your mom ever give you a reason as to why you couldn't go to the funeral? No, I asked her, and she never gave me a reason. She said I was too little. Um, but I've never known my mom to go to any funeral. When her best friend died, she didn't go to her funeral. When my father died... She refused to go to his funeral. Um, I don't know. I know that some people have a problem with going to funerals. Are you okay with that now as an adult? I've never had a problem with funerals. I've never had a problem with death or dying or anything like that at all. It's all been a norm to me. What was the first ghost hunt that you ever took part in? So when I was little, I grew up in Massachusetts, and we used to live down the street from those quarry, and kids would go in the quarry, and sometimes they wouldn't come out of the quarry, and um, 
we'd go explore at night sometimes and see if we could hear anything and see if there were ghosts or anything from kids that have passed away from drowning or hitting their head on rocks. So I would probably say I was about maybe seven, six, seven years old when we, when we lived over there. Yeah, because it was around the same time she died. And uh, we moved, we used to live on Turning Mill Lane in Massachusetts. And then we moved down the street. Um, my mom met my stepdad, literally lived right down the street. His daughter started babysitting us. And uh, we moved to Forest Avenue. And the quarry was, we had a house next to us. And then there was the gates into the woods. And you follow the path and you go way back and there were abandoned cars there and some crazy shit used to happen just walking back there in the dark alone. So one time we were walking back there in the quarry area towards the quarry and it's all wooded, mind you. There's like an AVP, an ATV path that you can drive down, but you couldn't get anything back there because it was gated and it was locked. Um, so everybody walked or yeah, everybody walked. They would, they would drop their bikes off at my house and, uh, we had our bikes stolen so many times, so many times they would steal our bikes, but there were times the kids walked down there and they didn't walk back. So we don't know what happened. You know, we were, we were little, we, I mean, we knew something happened, but we didn't know what. You know, I was like, 10. <laughs> so one evening, uh, my friend Gemma and I were walking down there. And you, you get to this part where the path kind of breaks off into three areas. And you have a hill. And then there's a path to the right. And then if you go down further, there's another path to the right. And then to the left, there's like, there's like another hill, but then there's like this open area and over in the open area, like way back, there was this abandoned car and I can't remember what kind of car it was, but I remember it was pale color, like a pale yellow, maybe, or a tan or something. And I always thought it was so creepy. And every time I went back there, it like it just really, really creeped me out. So we're back there one evening, and we see the car, and it's getting dark out. And we're trying to find the quarry, and we're trying to remember where it's at and everything. You know, because things look different in the dark. And we get over by where the car is, and the headlights flash. And we freak the fuck out. Oh my god, I was like, is somebody in there? Like, does, is that car running? Like, I didn't, I thought it was abandoned. Like, I didn't know. We ran. We ran. We we got the fuck out of there. But if you're, if you go down by the quarry, there's, like, castle ruins. And you can hear stuff. But you don't know what you're hearing. You know, you don't know if it's echoes because of the quarry or what. But that's... That's about it as far as evidence goes down there. I never really had a chance to investigate. It was more kind of like, 
Okay, this kind of just happened. What was the first ghost hunt that you did as an adult? So my first actual ghost hunt that like I paid for and went to a place that wasn't abandoned <laughs> um, was Mansfield Prison, Mansfield Reformatory Prison. I spent the night and we explored the whole prison and I had taken their tours before. I had probably done their tours at least half a dozen times and I knew the place pretty well at that point. Um, I didn't really find anything. I didn't really feel anything. A couple orbs, stuff, but, um, it was so crowded and I just, I didn't feel anything. I really didn't feel anything there. I think that place is just overrun. I know people have found stuff there, have seen things, but for me being an empath, I did not. But as far as just ghost experiences, I used to live in a haunted apartment building and stuff used to happen all the time. So if you have questions about that, let me know. Oh, I certainly do. What kind of stuff happened in the apartment building? So a friend of mine had this black scrying mirror and I stole it from them. <laughs> I did. I went to Wyoming and I drove there and I lived there for a little while and I left because reasons and I stole the scrying mirror but I used the scrying mirror and I would see faces. I would see dark faces but the faces they had red eyes. They would glow in the mirror these red eyes and ever since then I see them occasionally in in mirrors in any kind of mirror so I don't keep a mirror in my bedroom I don't have open mirrors anywhere there's mirrors in my bathroom but I keep I don't you know I don't go in there all the time so um yeah so red eyes and mirrors very scary I I've seen them I just have a mirror in my bedroom and I was going to bed one night and I just was barely closing my eyes and then boom, I saw red eyes in it and I had to cover it up with a blanket. So I did an investigation at Crescent Sanatorium and we were in solitary confinement. Uh, this big building, well, it wasn't very big, this building and there were two tables with four seats and the seats were square, very uncomfortable. Um, we went in and the person who was our tour guide for that building started talking and was explaining things to us where we were at, etc. Um, we had just came in the room and I went to go sit down at one of these tables while he was talking and there were some people still walking around and everything, but there was one seat. So I just went and I just sat at the empty seat. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the guy talk and I start crying and I just started feeling extremely remorseful all of a sudden and I have tears streaming down my face and I start saying I'm sorry I'm sorry and the man comes over to me and he asks me if I'm okay and I'm just like I'm sorry I'm sorry and I don't know what has come over me and it's like 
I feel awful. I have this horrible feeling inside of my chest and I'm just begging for forgiveness. And I just felt so bad. Like, like, please forgive me. Like, I will do anything. Just please, please. And I'm crying and I just, I don't know what's going on. And they're not my emotions at all. They're not. And I stand up and I started to feel a little bit better. And we took out the EVP. And uh, it was in my pocket. I took the EVP out. And I scanned around and it was green. And then I went to where I was sitting and boom, red. Instantly. And... Or the other way around. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Goes all the way up to green, right? Shots straight up. Straight up to green. And then I, I move it up and down and it was like it was like a person was sitting there. It was like I had sat on someone. I had sat in someone and they inhabited me and I felt what they were feeling and it was a partial possession. And I cannot unfeel that. To this day, I cannot unfeel what that person felt. When that sensation takes over your body though when you feel what that spirit is feeling it's insane it's so intense to start crying instantly like that to feel all that remorse all of that pain all of that emotion just flood your body it's nuts that feeling is something that i will never forget i feel it still i i don't think i could ever forget that feeling because i feel like part of them are in me now and just thinking about it, I can feel it in my chest, how it all felt. It's so powerful to feel that way and have no control over it and just to watch your body react. But honestly, it was such a high for me that I invite it, that if it were to happen again, I would let it because I can control enough of it. I think that I make sure that it doesn't come back with me. And that's not the first time something like that has happened to me before. I've had a little boy named Jack hold my hand and follow me through a whole building one night. And they would ask questions and I would answer and I'd be like, yeah, Jack's right next to me. He's holding my hand. I don't know if it's because I'm an empath. I don't know if it's just who I am or what, but they don't scare me. They don't bother me. I kind of find comfort in knowing that they are there and that they are comfortable enough to contact me. And the last question that I have, is there any advice that you would give to anyone that's just starting out or that wants to start ghost hunting on their own? I would say have an open mind. Debunk everything because you never know what is real and what's not going to be real. And don't expect things to happen. Thank you, Sarah, for taking part in the interview and sharing some of the scarier things that has happened to you. Maybe one day we can hear from you again to hear even more of your ghost hunting adventures. Now, in case you were wondering, no, I'm not going to leave this episode as just an interview. Now, for a story from my favorite website, yourghoststories.com. As always, I will be reading from the author's perspective. I don't know where to put my experiences, out of paranoia that I will be categorized as a lunatic. Ironically, 
I had a history of being a hard skeptic who mocks anything that is paranormal, supernatural, anything that is spiritual. But I know that it's because I don't want to give it attention out of fear, and I don't want to see visions again. Seeing visions in these entities was very confounding and irritating for me as a child. I tried testing if I was schizophrenic, but no. It also came with hearing them, feeling them, and even catching their scent for just as long, but the ones I'd like to talk about today are shadow people. They were the first real, vivid experiences I knew weren't just figments of my imagination. I remember that they came in groups at night, but there was one who was darker than the very shadows themselves. The darkness of this entity was so dense that light seemed to be absorbed on contact to it, nor can the light reflect to escape its figure. I would see it come in through the light of the bathroom door, like directly in the light, so I know that it wasn't just a shadow playing tricks. Its feet would crunch against the carpet floor as it moves around my bed, never taking its eyes off of me. It was tall, but it would slink down behind the foot of the bed where its head would peek out. This one and those around it would get off, give off emotions of sheer trepidation. If I move, if I don't pretend to sleep, it will be right there getting closer. Alongside these wide awake terrors, I would have horrible nightmares back to back every night. I decided to change it up a bit. I wanted to create a truce to end it, so I would offer it cookies under my bed as a child. Of course, none were taken, or I assumed my father would simply know about it and eat them. Either way, it was symbolic that I just wanted to ease my stress. However, one night when I was seven, I dreamt that I jumped out of bed and confronted the shadow person. I started to slowly suffocate him until he dissolved. Ever since that dream, the shadow people stopped visiting, until I met another shadow person years after in a new home over 15 years later. It was very familiar aura coming up the stairs of that house. In the shadows, I saw a dense blackness, and I know that it was watching me. It gives off the same eerie, air-thickening sensations, but I don't sense that it was a threat. I it would stare at me in its eerie glory of being the darkest of shadows and its ever-moving figure, but it kept its distance. Something in me told me, you have far more power now, and it knows it. I was also getting into witchcraft after finally realizing nothing can help me truly escape from seeing or interacting with spirits or entities and I don't want the fear of it to control me anymore. I set up wards, looked at him in the darkness of my house one night, and I said, You try anything, I'll inflict harm and throw you out into the cold. I don't know what good that'll do, but in my observation, they seem to dislike direct confrontation, or any indication that you have any intense will to fight back. Over time, I didn't pay too much mind with this entity and just allowed it to wander around. No ill happenings has taken place. No indications that were there, any strange mood drops, all of the presence felt less intrusive despite that it's still prevalently there. I had friends 
who are into the mediumship immediately pick him up in my home, but they also didn't feel any real threatening other than the unusual eeriness. One night, I felt a dip in my bed before I went to sleep. I felt and heard someone breathing, too, in breaths. I didn't really want to look over at what it was other than I knew who it was. It just simply laid there next to me, and I can just imagine it, it was staring. I decided to say, you can lay here if you want, but anything else, I will hurt you. I was actually more scared than I tried to let on. After researching the phenomenon of shadow people, they seemed to feel and take that fear in as an advantage, but seemingly in this case, it was nervous in return. The turn was when I had a dream that I went out of my body and started to wonder about my own home. Before I started to venture beyond my front door, I saw it stepping into my view and I heard its raspy, distorted voice echo. Go back to your body. It's dangerous out there without it. With that, it escorted me back into my bedroom and I woke up. Since then, when I have dreams of leaving my body, I see the entity coming in to block me and send me back and tell me it's for my own safety. I decided that it wasn't going to hurt me, and I made the decision to set up some fresh black tea upon my altar for him as a sign of truce for now. In the reality of this, I am still readily available to the idea that I am just delusional. It was tricking me, or it was a figment of my imagination. During times when I want to give up the notion that it's real, I had people claim that they saw a really dark humanoid shadow coming and going by the blink of an eye in my home without me telling them anything about it. Currently, for now, he is considered a family member of my spiritual team. I will not give away his name other than he's grown to been actually a somewhat of a comfort. However, for any entity or any person embodying a vessel, I won't let all of my guard down if anything else should happen. I am still very perplexed about the concept of what is a shadow person, other than articles upon articles of supposed assumptions or experts preaching that they're demonic, guardians, extraterrestrials, or other. The only thing I care about is if it respects my boundaries and if it later shows other considerations. I will return the favor, and I'll gain respect for it until further notice. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoyed the interview and you would like to hear more like it in the future, please let me know. And if you didn't like it, and you want me to stick to just true crime and paranormal stories, let me know that as well. Please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really does help others to find this podcast. One bit of news, I have finally started the official Ohio Unsolved YouTube channel. As of the writing of this episode... I have the first eight episodes uploaded, most with pictures for each story. I plan on uploading at least one episode a day until I am all caught up, and new episodes will be uploaded there as well.
so make sure to go and subscribe. I would love to get 100 subscribers by the end of the month. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.